Well, we are excited about Boca Lead and what it is. It's a community of people that come together from the for-profit world, the not-for-profit world, to help make this community a better place. That's our goal. We do it in a lot of different ways, and one of them is to have this lunch where we can get together. Those of you who have been here in the past know that we used to have 400 people in here. Now we have about 150 or 160 people in the room to keep it safe and distance and all the rest. And I think as the year goes on, we might be able to be able to put a few more people in as appropriate. But we're glad you're here. And those of you who are online, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. We will stay online even when we fill this room again because I believe live stream is something that is going to be with us a long time. And many people would prefer to be that. And so we're glad you're here with us. You can get uh, the, the handout from the website as well if you want to print that out. They have it at their tables. And today we're going to talk about a subject that is very, very simple to understand but very hard to do. Simple to understand, hard to do. It's free. You don't have to spend a dollar or a dime in your company to do it. Some of the things I suggest you to do cost money. Today's thing costs no money. And hopefully I'll give you some uh, clues and some uh, forms and some ways to do it, just some tools to help you with that area. And that is the area of face-to-face meetings and the importance of eye contact. This is something that we are losing in our culture, in our business culture. In fact, the other day, I was with a gentleman on Zoom, just one-on-one. We have never met. We were introduced by others to meet, and we got together, and we were in our second meeting, and we're looking at each other, and I finally realized why I don't like Zoom. Because I'm looking at him on the TV but above the TV is the camera. So if I look at the camera so he can think I'm looking at him, I'm really not looking at him. It's a very dysfunctional way, right? And then if you have four or five people and you're looking to the left of your, and your camera's on the right side, you're, if you want to look at them, you've got to look at your camera, not at them, and then these meetings just go wild. And so you know what I said? It was my second meeting. I said, we're going to get it together in person. He's in Chicago. I'm flying to Chicago in two weeks. That's how important that meeting is because I said, we need to be face-to-face. And he was laughing. I emailed him today. I said, I'm doing a talk on face-to-face. Get on uh, on the live stream and see it because we were laughing that he loves face-to-face. I love face-to-face. And it's impossible sometimes. And it's something that some people said it will never come back the face-to-face meeting, and I don't think that is true. I think there are things that you can do face-to-face, and we'll talk about this, and the importance with a face-to-face conversation, uh, one of the important things is eye contact. And we're going to look at that today and kind of talk about that and have some fun with it. So I'm going to give you six thoughts on this. So if you have your pens and you want to write them down, great. If you don't, there is a blog that appears about an hour after we finish, and all my notes and some things are being uh, put on there as we speak. One of our people writes it uh, contemporaneously, and then it just pops up. So if you don't like to write and you just want to have eye contact with me the whole time, I'm fine with that. You can get all the notes in about an hour. Number one, why is this important? Because it shows you are listening. Nowadays, People don't know if you're listening. You need to be present when you are in front of people. 
There is so much that we do, so much that we uh, participate in, that you can be in front of people and not be with them, right? You cannot be present with them. But when you are looking at them with eye contact and listening to them, you are present with them. And a lot of things happen with that, which we're going to talk about. The other person and what they are talking about matters to you. Now, I know a lot of you, if you have to deal with uh, people that are upset at your company and you're kind of in the negative side of your company, you may not really care about what they are saying. I get that. But you really have to show some empathy and some things in it. You need to also, and write this or, or underline this or write it down, you need to have a healthy sense of curiosity. I think people, the older they get, they lose their whole thought of curiosity. You know, you just don't care. Just tell me what you want. I'll tell you what I want. Let's get it done. I got to give you an example. Um, years ago, about 15 years ago, I had a client. I was in real estate, commercial real estate. I sold him a big piece of land. He wanted me to come up and talk to him about it. It was in Martin County. So it was a Saturday. I said, can I bring my son with me? So my eldest son was about 13 years old. And I said, let's make a day of it and go up and see the property and go. And so the husband and wife were there. And he was a publisher, a very large publication company, did a lot of fiction and nonfiction as well. And um, so my son had just finished a series of fiction books. I won't go into what they were. It wasn't Harry Potter, but it was the largest uh, the best-selling nonfiction series prior to Harry Potter, I think they did 85 million copies. Now, a book that does 5,000 copies is like a bestseller, so 85 million copies. And my son was in the reading, and he had read, I think there were six of them. So we're there, and we're talking. My son is listening, because I taught my son to listen. I taught my son how to ask questions, to look people in the eye. When you shake their hand, which we can't do now, you still look in the eye. And so we're having this conversation, and we got on to this series, and he, the, the gentleman was telling us all about the economics of 85 million sales. And then um, my son goes to the gentleman, did you publish the books? And he goes, no, I didn't think they would be successful. And my son said, that wasn't very smart, was it? <laughs> And he looked at my son, and he said, you're exactly right. It was out of the mouth of babes is curiosity. Why didn't you do it? It was one of the most successful things in the 1990s. It was the most successful book publication in the 1990s. He had a chance to do it, 85 million. I mean, that's books. So think about the amount of money you would make as a company, which he didn't take because he didn't think it would be successful when it was on the boards. And so, but it was eye contact that my son had done, and we had a great talk about it. And he laughed. It was, it was kind of a bad laugh that the gentleman <laughs> did because he realized it was painful to him. But you need to learn to ask good questions. You need to learn to ask good questions. There's the who, what, where type questions, which are the easy questions, and we'll talk about that towards the end. But then there are more the why questions. Why do you do what you do? And there are the accusatory why questions. Why did you do what you do? And then there are the um, learning questions. Why do you do what you do? And the learning type is what I'm talking about. You come, there are times maybe to accuse somebody if they're doing something bad, but I'm talking about this learning experience and learning to ask good 
questions. There's a great quote by Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits. And again, most of you read it years ago, but if you've never read Seven Habits, um, you need to read it. Most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And that's not listening. That's talking. I talk to you. You're getting ready to talk back to me. Then I'm going, oh, what did she say? And then I talk back to you. Then you talk back to me. And we're just talking over each other. But listening is understanding and seeking to understand. One of the seven habits is to seek to understand before being understood. And so understanding is so important. And you can do that with good questions. And here's what I learned from my father who used to attend us, he's now 89 years old, and so he's not able to attend with us, taught me is anyone can ask a good question. You do not have to be a mathematician to ask a mathematician a good question. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be an accountant to ask good questions. Just learn some good basic questions so that you can garner from people things and it'll change your life, and it will change the relationship you have with that vendor, that uh, prospective um, customer, that client, that competitor, and it will give you an edge. Number two, it shows respect. It shows respect. This is so important um, in it. No multitasking while you're talking with people. Okay, so many times, you, you know, and Zoom is easy because in Zoom, they can't see what's below that little imaginary line. How many times are you doing other things, right? And, of course, you can put dual screens up so you can literally be doing something else while you're on the Zoom. You can put three screens up. If you have the two screens, you can make them four screens, and you can do all that. But what you are doing then is just not listening. You're just hearing stuff. But if you're truly face-to-face, it shows respect. Here I am. I'm looking at you face-to-face. I'm looking at you eye-to-eye. There is a respect that comes. If you know you'll be interrupted in a meeting, talk about it ahead of time. Okay, so you're waiting for an important call in a meeting. You go, hey, Kevin, I just want you to know I'm just waiting for this really important call. It might come in 15, but it might not come for two hours, so I'm not sure. But if it comes, is it okay if I take two or three minutes to take the call? That shows respect, and they're okay, yeah, sure, because they'll sit there and do their emails or their text backs, and there's no big deal. But in the middle, and you just go, hey, i got to take this call. You have just said, this is more important than you are. So just preclude and do that. Now, there are times when that you just can't. you got to go, hey, I am sorry. I've been trying to reach this person for a week. Is it okay? Kind of ask their permission, and they'll always say yes. Here's another thing. Those of you who... Uh, are married or you have children that will call you at work during work time, you've got to have a system to know when you have to answer the phone and when you don't have to answer the phone. Okay, so my wife and I have a system. If she calls me once, it's just to tell me about something in the day, and if I'm available, I'll answer it, and if I'm not available, I won't answer. If she calls twice right away, call, 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 hang up, call, 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 all things are off. So I remember one day, not too long ago, I was doing videoing. I was videoing, and uh, the person had my phone because you can't have a phone up here. Had my phone. Elizabeth calls, kind of telling me that. I don't worry about it. I'm still videoing. Second call, I just stopped everything because nothing's more important than when my wife calls twice. You see, there are more important things than the face-to-face. 
but you have to know when they are. When she calls just to say, hey, we got dinner tonight at 6 instead of 7, that can hold for another hour. But when something happened, I just said, everybody, and we stopped the video. We stopped everything. I apologized, and I walked out because my relationship with my wife is more important than my relationship with at that point, and everybody knew. They just kind of said, okay, we'll pick it back up tomorrow, and it is what it is. So you've got to figure this out, and you've got to show respect. You've got to show respect to your long-term relationships, which are your spouses, your children. In my case, my parents who are still living and others. But you also have to show respect to the people you're working with. And a lot of times, we are so disrespectful, and it is amazing. The culture of telephones in meetings has just got to stop. You've got to train your people and yourself to realize there's an etiquette, and that etiquette needs to take place if you want to show respect one to another. When you are looking away, your attention is unfocused, and the other person assumes you are daydreaming. Now, you may not be daydreaming, but they assume you are daydreaming, which shows lack of respect. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Some cultures in the world, you're not allowed to look at the eyes. You need to understand this. There are cultures in the world that when you look in people's eyes, you're looking into their soul. And if you're looking into their soul, you don't have the right to look into their soul because you're just an acquaintance and only a spouse or a parent can look into their soul. It's an amazing thing. So this talk I'm giving today, I could not give in other parts of the world. Because here in the West, looking eye contact is important. So what does that mean? What happens is you have an organization that has people that are not all Westerners. They're Caribbean. They're from other parts of the world. They're from South America. They're from Africa. They're from Asia. They're from the islands of the Pacific, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to develop the organizational culture to understand what works for you and what doesn't work. So many people go, yeah, I have a a multicultural organization. Multicultural organizations are chaos. What you have and should have is a multi-ethnic organization. But if you have a multicultural organization, it is utter chaos because some people are event-oriented and some are time-oriented. Some have a high view of leadership. Some have a low view of leadership. Some think when they're a volunteer in a group, they can just come and go as they please. Other think volunteers have responsibilities if you're a nonprofit. Do you see what I'm saying here? And some have direct when there's a problem. You just say it in front of everybody. I have a problem with what you did. And others go like this. And others will only do a private. So you have to develop the culture and your team that works if you're the team leader and then everybody agrees to it. Because if not, it is total chaos and I have had total chaos on multiple times. The other thing is you have to understand that some of the words you use are unknowing to other people. So I remember the first time I had a, um, uh, a not born in the United States assistant. And one day a couple of us were talking about the sound of music. And she didn't have a clue what that was. And then so we started talking about the Godfather and some quotes. She, What's that? So if you start quoting the Godfather, as a lot of us do, they don't have a clue what that is. 
And unless you're from 10 countries in the world and you start talking baseball quotes like, let's make sure we get everybody to home plate, let's make sure we get everybody on base, they don't have a clue what that means. Unless you're from the, the Caribbean and the Central America and the northern part of South America and a couple countries in Asia, they don't have a clue what that means. And we're using all this, put your hat in the ring. What does that mean, put your hat in the ring? And it hit me the other day. Remember I did the talk on uh, monkey on your back a couple months ago? Love the talk. I did it several times here. So I did that talk to 40 leaders in 30 different countries last month. Well, monkeys have a whole different view in other countries. (laughs) Some thought it was good to have the monkey on your back because the monkey is a friendly person, not a person, a friendly whatever, uh, animal, you know, almost like we would talk about a, a dog in your hand or something, and it, they go, is this a good thing or a bad thing? My whole talk went awry. <laughs> it was, uh, and I'm going, oh, my lands, because it's a saying, the monkey on your back is a saying. So if you're going to use these colloquialisms, you know, there's a group that does, there's a nonprofit group that uses a baseball diamond as their, you know, you get the first base, this is what you do, you get the second base. Well, you know, that's counterclockwise. Nothing in this world is counterclockwise. And everybody's going, you mean you go this way instead of this way? And they they don't have a clue. Why are you going counterclockwise to get improved? You should go clockwise to get improved. And so you got to be careful. The things you do, the way you do it, when you bring somebody, and I know we have multinational companies in here, but you may just bring an assistant from South America or an assistant from Cuba or an assistant from Haiti who has a whole different understanding of some of these colloquial statements that we made. So either define them for them, but don't always assume what they are. And again, that shows respect. Let's go to number three. It creates a personal connection. This is so important. You want to do business with people, there needs to be a personal connection. What business, whatever business you are in, getting from idea to reality takes a group effort. And that, that could be your team, that could be your clients, that could be your vendors, that could even be some of your competitors that you're bringing together. And the best efforts are made when the group trusts in the vision and in each other. There has to be a personal connection. Eye contact help facilitates the process. We'll talk about trust a little more. This is so important, the personal connection. I need to look at you personally, understand you personally. You need to understand me. Do you trust me? Do you not trust me? Do you trust the process? And it's so important. Those of you that have, uh, and we have a lot of religious people in here, we have a lot of non-religious, but uh, there's a prophet in the Old Testament of the Bible that's very important to Jews and Christians. His name is Moses. Moses had a brother whose name was Aaron. Aaron was the high priest of the children of Israel back during the time of Moses. And one of the most famous prayers in the entire Bible, the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, is a prayer that Aaron gave to the people. And you know what the prayer is? It's in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. It says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. Well, that's a good prayer. May he turn his face towards you. Aaron is praying that God will look you in the eye. Is that an amazing thing? It's like the little kids and my kids, when I would read a book or I'd be reading the newspaper years ago, and they'd start talking to me, and I'm paying attention to this, and they grab my face and turn it towards them. Right? Did your kids ever do that? Now my grandkids are doing it. 
you know, pop-up, you know, turning my face. Aaron asked God to turn his face towards us. Why? Because there's a personal connection when that happens. Now, that's this connection. We're talking about this connection today. Turn your face towards someone and look them in the eye. What a connection that happens. Number four, it helps convince people of your vision, your direction, or whatever else you're talking to them about. You ever had a salesperson talk to you and never look you in the eye? You don't trust them, do you? You know, you want to trust the vision of where they want to take you. That consultant that you're hiring, you want to trust them. That banker who's going to loan you money and they say, yeah, we'll do this, this, and this. You want to make sure that's happening. A clear and compelling vision of what you're doing, asking, connecting with. Sorry, never end a sentence with a preposition. I just did. Sorry, English teachers. So years ago, years ago, um, I wanted to do this leadership thing outside of Florida. So at our church, we have three things we do with leadership. We have inside our church, we call it church lead. I'm not real big on big names. So we have church lead. In the community, we call it Boca lead. And then outside of Boca, we call it world lead. We go all over the world and teach people much deeper things than this, but we do teach these and a lot of other things. So I said, I want to do this all over the world. And so we are now in 40 countries, and we do this all over the world, and we partner with other partners like Food for the Poor and the Caribbean and, and different things. And so there was an organization that had about 3,500 nonprofit workers, a U.S. group and U.K., and they had 3,500 workers around the world. And someone said, why don't you see if you can help them in their leadership? And I'm thinking, you know, there are four of us at the time. How can we help 3,500 people? Well, he said, I know the head of the United States, the head of the, the U.S. Uh, division of this nonprofit. So I called him up and I said, hey, do you ever come down to South Florida? He goes, yeah, one of our biggest donors is in Fort Lauderdale. I come down there all the time. I said, when you come to Fort Lauderdale, can we have lunch? So it was set up that we had lunch. So here I have a guy who has 3,500 people like you, and there's just me. And we looked eye to eye to each other and spent one hour together. And at the end, he said, let's try this in one country. It was the smallest country they're in. It was the country of Moldova, the poorest country in Eastern Europe, and the poorest country in the Northern Hemisphere. It's just an amazing thing. And we go, let's do it. It worked well. We're now in about 35 countries with this organization. And what's amazing is, is the head of Africa, the head of Africa of this organization we got to know so well, he now immigrated to the United States and works here at Boca Raton Community Church. Francois and Karen Vislu, who are great friends of this group, Boca Lead. He's, I don't think he's here today. She was working out front with us today. She might not be in here, but she might be out there. But they have come to work with us. How did that happen? Because I spent one hour face-to-face, eye-to-eye with a guy. Now, there's a lot of times you do that, and it doesn't work. You know, you go, our vision's this way, your vision's that way. So that happens. But none of it would happen. And Francois and all the 35 countries have no clue that it all started with an eye-to-eye, face-to-face meeting with one person. Small, big things happen with small meetings. And you need to understand that. Number five, 
it shows a willingness to collaborate. It shows a willingness to collaborate. I am interested in what you are doing and what you are saying. Now, at the end of the conversation, you may not want to collaborate because you have a different vision, but at least you understand their vision. You understand what's going on, and you go, let's collaborate because I trust you, or let's not collaborate because we are indifferent. We know that. And there, it's just as valid to say we're not going to collaborate as it is that we are going to collaborate. Now, let me just take an aside here for a minute um, about getting a job. Now, most of you in here have jobs. That's why you're here. You work. But you have children who don't have jobs. You have friends who don't have jobs. You sometimes are in between jobs. And there's something that's important to understand. People come to me and go, I need a job. And I go, what are you doing to get a job? And they go, well, I put my name on this service. I put my name on that website. And I go, how long did that take you? Well, I had to put my resume together. And boy, it took a long time. And I go, you're not trying to get a job. Because everyone has a job, unless they're retired or wealthy and don't need something. Your job is either you have the job or your job is to find a job. And I tell people, if you're not working 40 hours a week looking for your job, then you really don't want the job because you have a job. Your job is to find a job. So can I give you just a, a, a good way? And Johnny Barber is the king of this one, the guy that was up here at the first. He's the king. He taught me 10 years ago, and I counsel people all the time. Don't come up here and ask me. Ask him because he's the king. But write down two by two. Two times number two or times symbol two. Two by two. Here's what you need to do. You need to find two people. Tell you. Tell your kids who are in college, it works. It works. Two by two. Have two meetings. That's it. With anybody who's in business and reputable. And ask them, are there two people I should talk to? That's it. You're not asking them for a job. I'm not coming for a job interview. I just say, can you take 20 minutes with me? I just say, I'm looking for a job. Will you take 20 minutes? And can I tell you, most people will take the 20 minutes. It used to be you had to buy them lunch or buy them breakfast. None of that has to happen now. You can sit on a park bench and do this. It's all free. And I tell you what, get the two names. So now you have four names, right? You had the first two, and you have four names. And you go to those four people, and you go, tell them what you're doing, and you go, if you know anybody, oh, I don't. Well, can you give me two people I can talk to? Two people I can talk to. And all of a sudden, now you have eight. The first two and the eight, now you have ten that you have talked to. This has taken total of maybe six hours of time. It might, you have to do it over several days of time. And all of a sudden, you will be, have talked to dozens and dozens, and you will get into your area of expertise or the area you want to move into, and you will get a job in a matter of a few weeks. People go, I haven't had a job in six months. I tell you what, that's mostly because I'm not individually criticizing here or pointing a finger, but there is work to be done. So if you want to know this, I'm not going to point my son out over there, but my son, the lawyer, when he got out of law school, he practiced that. So when he got his job, he had met with about how many, 70? 85 people at that time. Now here's the amazing thing. He's with his new boss, 
They go to the first South Palm Beach County law thing, you know, where the judges and the lawyers all get together once a quarter. He walks in. He knew everybody in the room, the judges, because they'll take 15 minutes, the attorneys. And his boss said, how do you know all these? They're all coming up. Greg, how you doing? Greg, how you doing? Because he took the time to take the time to meet the people that are in his industry because someone said, go talk to so-and-so. Go talk to so-and-so. And I tell you what, it works. But it works face-to-face with eye contact, asking good questions, showing respect, and people love to help people, don't they? You would do it. If someone came to you and they were sharp and young and needed a job and you go, yeah, call these two people. I did it last night with somebody. I gave them five names. I said, I got five people that are in your industry that you should talk to. So that's now 10 names that they're going to start with because they're going to go to them and get two more, right? So that's 15. Do you see how it works? Eye contact face-to-face. Now, finally, six. It shows, back to your conversation with somebody, it shows significance, belonging, and self-worth to the other person. You are showing value to the other person. And when you show that they have significance, they belong, at least for that 20 minutes or that hour or whatever meeting, to a conversation that they, there's a belonging to that, there's self-worth to that. I tell you what, you can build somebody up so easy, it doesn't cost a dime. You don't have to take them on big trips. You don't have to spend money on cruises and all those things we can't do now anyway. Show the value to them now. And if you do, it's an amazing thing. Now, let me close this with a personal experience about this. Um, Before I was uh, the leader of Boca Lead and the pastor of this church, I ran a, a very small leadership organization called LifeWork Leadership. The head of Life Leadership happens to be here today. He's somewhere over there. Anton is there. It's now an international group, and Anton is running it. It's in dozens of cities all over the world. But it's basically a one-year program where you get together a day a year. They bring in speakers. You do case studies. It's really a personal growth thing for um, high-end CEOs and leaders, et cetera. So I led it. It was small. It was only in Fort Lauderdale. We expanded it to Palm Beach and to... um, Miami-Dade, and so we would do these three things. So I'd bring in a speaker, and they'd be in Palm Beach one day, then Fort Lauderdale, then Miami. So Miami was always the end, and I usually would take the speaker back to the uh, hotel or to the airport, whatever. So we had done this, and one of the speakers, I won't name him, you've probably heard of him, but his wife was with him. She was writing a book, so she spent that whole three days writing partly writing her book, so I didn't get to see her. So they're in the car with me. I'm taking them to the Miami airport, a hotel near the Miami airport. And um, so the lady's in the back, and I'm having a conversation with her through the rearview mirror. A little different, right? I'm looking at the rearview mirror, riding, driving, and Friday afternoon, Miami traffic, having a conversation with this lady. And she asked a very simple question. Do you have children? Good question. I said, yes. She said, <coughs> she said, how many? Now, that is one of the hardest questions I could ever answer because I've lost a son. Elizabeth and I, and we've shared that story, and I'm not going to share it today. We have lost a son. So the question for anybody who's lost a child is, do you name the living children or do you name all the children? And that is the toughest thing. It was all, less than two years 
from the, his death. He was 13 years old. He died of a heart attack. It was less than two years. And I decided at that point, because you, you have to make this like really gut-wrenching decision, do I just go with four or do I go with five? If I go with four, I'll go so-and-so, so-and-so. They're these ages, and we don't even discuss. I chose to go the five. And so I said, we lost one. When I got into the order, I said, and we lost one last year or two years ago and told her. She said, stop the car. Now we're in a part between Coral Gables and Miami. It's, you know, that there's part there that's not so cool. She goes, stop the car. Now, through the rearview mirror, we're doing this, right? Her husband's tired. He's spoken three times. He's kind of just resting, listening. So I pull off into a gas station, into the parking space. We get out. She says, tell me your story. Tell me your story. She got right up here. We're telling the story. It was an unbelievable experience. She was empathetic. She was showing respect. She was giving me significant. It was just unbelievable. At the end, we were all crying. She said a prayer. We got back in the car. I dropped him off at the hotel. Two years ago, I saw that guy speaking again. And afterwards, there was a big lunch. And I was sitting over there, and he's sitting over there. And he sees me, and he stands up, and he says, Miami, and goes like this. And as I reflected upon that conversation 10 years before that point, I realized it was probably the most significant conversation I ever had with someone I never knew. Can you have a significant conversation with people you don't know? Maybe a new hire, maybe someone else. Someone's having some trouble. You can change people's life in 10 minutes that they will never forget. Or you can be miserable about it and go, why am I here in your mind and you're doing this and have no impact on that person. But I believe we as leaders of this community and you online as leaders of wherever you are want to make this place wherever you are. For us, it's Boca Raton in South Florida, a better place, a better place to live, a better place for families, a better place to work, a better place to legislate, a better place to run your business so that we can help the common good of this area. And part of that is working eye to eye, face to face with people. So go out and try it and see what happens. Thank you.